So it's definitely good to see you all. I want to thank you all for being a part of our group today with Chatham Transition Ministries, our weekly Bible study. Um, We're in the study of the life of Christ, and today we're going to finish up a worksheet that we started last week. We were talking about how Jesus commended John the Baptist. Does anybody remember what it said when when we say that you commend somebody? What does it mean to commend somebody? To promote them? Yeah, to, to, to acknowledge them for what they've done. And uh, so we'll kind of... To set them in place? In a sense, yeah, in a sense. So um, let's go ahead. We'll open with a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of quickly review the first part of that uh, worksheet, and then we'll finish it up today. So, Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time that you've given us together. I thank you for the men and women in this room, their willingness to come and learn about you. And we also desperately need you. We need your truth. We need your love. We need your promises and your hope. We need your word. And so I just pray today that as we study your word, that you will open it up to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Help us to receive it, to believe it, and walk in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So just a quick review, if you see uh, paragraph 1 there, we read Luke 27, or Luke 7, verses 24 through 27, and Matthew 11, verses 7 through 10, and we saw where Jesus addressed the crowd concerning John, and remember, John was a, what, what was John's title? What was he? John the Baptizer is one of his titles, but what was his role? What, what role did he play? To clear the way for Jesus. He was a prophet, right? And what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks for God. So often in the world that we live in today, when we think of prophets, we think about somebody who's going to come to you and and tell you your future, right? They they prophesy over you and tell you what's going to happen in your life. God, be careful. Anybody that comes up to you and says they want to speak something into your future, because the only person that truly knows the future is God himself. And he's given us his word so that we can know. What is the future? The future is that one day the sky's going to rip open and he's going to come down and he's going to judge everybody and uh, the sheep are going to inherit heaven and the goats are going to inherit hell. That's the future for everybody. And just the day-to-day things, um, we are commanded by him to trust in him and not be anxious and to just walk in his protection and in his love. And in his goodness and in his truth. And so he's given us his word so that we can know him, so that we can know how to properly make decisions in our lives, right? And you don't need people coming and speaking prophecies over you. That's a, it's a, I just want to put it in that's a really, really big deal not to be anxious. It does happen where you're not, because so, I used to be anxious and worried about everything. And it took time for me, but I know that God's in control inside now. Right. And so after a bit of time, it's so much easier to handle things that come your way and not to worry. Yep. And if y'all remember a couple months ago, as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, that was one of the lessons he taught, right? Be anxious for nothing. Uh, God closed the, the flowers in the field. He closed the, the birds and he provides food for the birds in the air. And, and are you not worth more than a bird or a, a flower, right? He's going to provide for his children. He's going to take care of us. And so we need to trust him. But this guy, John, was a prophet. And uh, and Jesus said he was more than a prophet. Now, what did we mean when we said, if y'all remember, what did it mean to say he was more than a prophet? He is actually he was a preacher, but he was actually the one that um, Lori's already alluded to it. He is the one that was prophesied of in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. It said that right before the Messiah comes. That a prophet, a voice crying in the wilderness, would come and clear a way for the Messiah, right? 
So when Jesus says that John the Baptist was more than a prophet, what does that mean? He is actually the voice in the wilderness crying out that the Messiah is here. And so um, we talked about how John did not go to the temple in Jerusalem. He went out into the wilderness. Remember, he went out into the wilderness. What's the difference in the wilderness and the temple? People in the temple wear nice clothes. They had the, 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 all the refineries of, of Judaism surrounding them. John went out into the wilderness. There was nothing there. It was a barren land, and he went out there and he preached. And the Bible teaches us that as he preached and proclaimed the gospel, uh, proclaimed the kingdom of God, that all of the people from all around started coming out into the wilderness to hear him speak. Now, why was it that they were drawn to John and his speaking? Does anybody remember? Why, what was so amazing about his message? There was the truth. Good. That's exactly right. And, and not only that, but um, remember, the people in Jerusalem, the people in that, in that ancient land at that time, were struggling with a lot of the same things that we struggle with. Um, crooked religious people, right? People in it just for the money. Um, people abusing and taking advantage of the poor. Crooked politicians, right? Crooked, crookedness going on all around them. And so now here comes this guy out in the wilderness saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And the people are attracted to that message because he was speaking the truth that they weren't getting. What do I say to people that use John as an excuse not to go to church? I run by that quite often. Well, you mean, in other words, well, well John... John was in the wilderness. He didn't need yeah. a building. Well, right. But he... he uh, the reality is this, that the Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together with one another. In other words, we're commanded as Christians to encourage one another and meet together and build one another up in spirit and in truth. Like Which that's, ended up happening <coughs> because people came to him. Sure. And, and, uh, and so uh, that in our modern day, most of the time, the, the wilderness is actually, a, uh, in the Bible, the wilderness is actually a picture of testing. Right? Remember, who went through the wilderness experience in the Old Testament? Does anybody remember? Who was it that went through the wilderness? They spent 40 years there. Moses and the Jews. Yeah, the the chosen people of God. And so, after God delivered them from Pharaoh, and remember the Passover lamb and the blood and, and how the Passover angel came and destroyed all the firstborn in the land. And what did Pharaoh say? Get out of here. You and your people leave. And they left there, and they were baptized in the in the Red Sea. Remember, the sea split in half, and they walked through the Red Sea on dry yeah. ground. And then <clears throat> that's a picture of our death and burial and resurrection with Christ. When they came out on the other side, they were a people that were free at last, right? They were free from Pharaoh and his bondage. But they've spent the next 40 years. It should have only taken them about two and a half weeks to walk from Israel, from Egypt to Israel. But what wound up happening is they spent the next 40 years in what was known as the wilderness experience. And what was the wilderness experience all about? It was about testing the children of God to see whether they were going to trust God or not. How did they do? Horrible. Yeah, they failed. Right? They failed. Why did they fail? Because instead of trusting God's word... They focused on their circumstances. They focused on how hot it was, how bad the food was, how their old life was a lot more fun and better than this one, right? They, they, they focused on all of those things, and they lost sight of the fact that they were in God's hands, and they needed to trust him. So in the Bible, the wilderness is always a picture of testing. 
remember Jesus after John the Baptist baptized him? What did what happened to Jesus? He went and spent forty days where? In the wilderness. Remember? And what was that wilderness experience about? It was forty a, days and forty nights. Yeah, and it was a testing. So the children of Israel spent forty years. Uh, in the wilderness, Faith. right? Jesus spent forty days in the wilderness, and what did the devil do to Jesus while no, he was in the? Yeah, yeah. He tested him. Hmm? Yeah, the devil tested Jesus. Now, the difference in the children of Israel and Jesus was what? What was the difference in their two wilderness experiences? Oh, goodness. what was the difference? How did the children of Israel do in their testing? Mm. They failed oh. miserably. How did Jesus do? He overcame the devil. And how did he overcome the devil? Through the word of God, remember? What did Jesus keep saying to the devil? Right? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. And what's so funny is, Jesus was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy was a book that was written to tell about what? About the wilderness experience, you see? So Jesus was referring back to Moses' writing when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness. And what did he say? It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus was quoting the Old Testament wilderness experience and explaining to us what it takes to stand in our times of testing, in our times of trial. It just amazes me how he referenced it. It's written, he referenced all that stuff that he... Was all written down, and the Jews still didn't see it. Yeah, they, well, they certainly it was didn't. Their word, it was their scripture. Yeah. So, um, if you see the end of that uh, paragraph one, it said he was more than a prophet. So, who is he? Well, in Malachi three one, it tells us that he is the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, the one that says, "Prepare the way for the Lord." Now, the next thing that we talked about last week, when we were together, is Jesus made two statements. He said, number one, that there is none greater than John. And then he said the least in the kingdom is greater than he. And do y'all remember us talking about that? Right. What, what did we learn? Well, John, there was no one has had a greater role in, in the history of the church than John to proclaim that the Messiah was here. But the least in the kingdom is all of those who have received Christ, right? And it makes us greater. Why? Because we've seen the completion of the work of Messiah and we have believed. And there was also that reference we spoke about the, the greatest and the least standing in was it Revelations, mm-hmm. waiting for Christ to waiting for the judgment. I don't remember well, us talking. That was Sunday. Yeah. We talked about that Sunday. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember us talking about that. But so the, the greatest and the least were all in the same spot. They were all equal. <clears throat> They had all in common the knowledge of Christ. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump down to um, paragraph 4. You see that 4? Yes. <laughs> John is Elijah, question mark. Yeah, John is Elijah. Is he? Uh, yes. Well, let's go, let's go back and look. Look at Malachi 4, 5. How can he be two that's great. That's now, a great question. Is the last book in the Old Testament? Last book in the Old Testament, just to the left of Matthew. Malachi 4 5. Malachi. Oh, next to Matthew. After or before? To the left of Matthew. Oh, so before. Yeah. And it's literally almost the last words in that book. Does everybody see it? Yeah. Malachi 4. And verse 
5. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So that's two different people. All right. So he said, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming and great terrible day of the Lord. All right. What is the great terrible day of the Lord? Uh, the day of judgment, right? The day, judgment day. And it said that he's going to send Elijah the prophet. Well, look, we go back and look now in Matthew 11. I'll turn to your right just a couple pages to Matthew 11. And let's look and see what Jesus said there in Matthew 11, verses 12 through 14. Matthew 11, verses 12 through 14. What chapter? Matthew 11, chapter 11. Verses 14. 12, 13, and 14. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. You see? But so what's Elijah, Elijah mean? Reincarnated. No, it's, he's playing the same role of Elijah. Okay. <coughs> is Elijah his own person? Elijah, is a, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And, and so <coughs> during the times of Elijah, um, the kingdom of Israel had been split in two. There was Israel and Judah. The nation had been divided into two. So the people were divided. The kingdom of God, uh, the children of Israel were divided into two nations, right? Judah and Israel, Israel and Judah. And almost, almost every one of the kings of Israel and Judah, except for like one or two exceptions, were wicked, evil kings. They were wicked, evil kings. And the wicked, evil kings were teaching the children of Israel to worship the Baals, the, the false gods of the Canaanites, of the people around. And so Elijah was a prophet that was sent by God to call out these wicked kings. In particular, he dealt with Ahab and Jezebel. Y'all remember old Jezebel and Ahab? So Elijah was a prophet sent by God to call out the wicked king of Israel. Uh, it, it was in particular the nation of Israel, the ten tribes that were up north. And so he went and he called out Ahab. He called him out. And so what is the point that Jesus is trying to make when he says that, Eli that John the Baptist is Elijah? Well, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that before the coming of the Lord, that one would come, a prophet would come, in the same manner as Elijah, and call out the wickedness of the people of Israel. So basically he's doing Elijah's work? He's doing the same thing that Elijah did. That's exactly right. Okay. He's filling that same role. And if you get into the book of the Revelation, you'll see that in the, in, in the prophecies of the, the book of the Revelation that Elijah and Moses are going to come up from the dead and preach to the people, right? And the, the truth of the matter of that, what does it mean? It means that the prophets are going to come that are going to proclaim the kingdom of God and call out this wicked world. Moses represents what? The law of God. And so it's a picture. Oh, so it's symbol of the, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. That's what the Old Testament is made up of. The law and the prophets. And, of course, the writings, which is the historical books. The first second Kings, first second Chronicles, first second Samuel. So the, the so old. The yeah. And so um, the, when it talks about the law and the prophets, what it's talking about is in the entirety of God's word. Uh, in the Old Testament, um, uh, matter of fact, we can we can look at that really quick if you want to. Turn uh, um, turn with me over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter twenty four. 
or actually before you go to 24, go to Luke 16. In Luke chapter 16, there is a parable. That's a very popular parable. You have probably heard somebody preach on it before. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Y'all remember that story? Yeah. All right, look what it says. It said there was a rich man um, that uh, he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And there was a poor named man named Lazarus who laid at his gate and was covered with sores. Longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, beside even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. So this guy was poor. He was hungry. He was sick. He laid outside the man's gate every day. That He was so sick that the dog would literally come up and lick his sores. And every time that Lazarus would come out, of, or a rich man would come out of his house, Lazarus would beg him for some food. All right? It says, now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. So watch what happened. The, the poor man died and was carried to Abraham's bosom. Now what that means is that is symbolic of someone who has the heart of Abraham. What, what, is, what is Abraham known for? Does anybody know? What is Abraham known for? Father of the, the, the nation of Israel. But he's also the father of the faith. Remember in Genesis and in Romans chapter 4, it teaches us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So if you are a son of Abraham, right? If you are a son of Abraham, you could be a physical son of Abraham, which would make you either an Arab or a Jew. That's what you would be if you were a physical son. Remember Esau, uh, Ishmael's people, and Isaac, two of Abraham's sons? The, Ahab, the Arabian nations comes out of Ishmael and the Jewish people come out of Isaac. So you could say that you were a physical son of Abraham and that would just mean that you were an Arab or a Jew. But a spiritual son of Abraham would be someone who had the faith of Abraham. Okay? So when the scriptures teach us here in this parable in Luke that he was pulled into the bosom of Abraham, it meant that he is pulled into the, the household of faith. So where would he have gone? If he was a true believer, he was pulled into the bosom of Abraham, where would he have gone? To heaven. That's exactly right. So it said this man died and he was carried to Abraham's bosom and the rich man died and was buried. Now it said in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes, (coughs) being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Um, so the, the rich man is burning in torment in Hades and he looks up and he sees the poor guy in Abraham's embrace, right? In his bosom, in his holding him. So he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. So where is this guy? He's burning in hell, and he says, hey, just let Abraham dip his finger in some water and put, his, put that water on my tongue like I'm, I'm dying here. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Now watch what he says. Besides this, there is between us and you, there's a great chasm fix that, so that those who wish to come over from here will not to you will not be able and none may cross over from there to us 
So what is that chasm, that divide, that if you're not a child of God, you don't get to go to heaven. All right? And he said, and he said, well, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. So see what he says? He said, well, if you're not going to help me, at least go back, tell Abraham, Abraham, go back and tell my five brothers about this place because I don't want them to come here. All right? But look what it says. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, then they, then they will repent. But he said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So think about that. He wants him to go back and tell his brothers about this place called hell that he's in so that they don't have to come there. And what does Jesus say? They've got the prophet. They got Moses and the prophets. What is Jesus saying? Right. Well, they have the scriptures. They have God's truth, right? Moses representing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets representing all the rest of the Old Testament, right? And so what is Jesus saying? They got Moses and the prophets. If they will hear them and believe them, what will happen? They will be forgiven and saved. If they don't hear them, they will go to hell. You see? And and he says, no, 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 no. Go Go tell them about this place and they'll believe. And what did Jesus say? Even if someone was to come back from the dead and tell them about that place, they still wouldn't believe. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if a dead man were to come back from the dead. That's exactly right. Well, not only that, but remember, Jesus came back from the dead, didn't he? And people ran around and told all kinds of people, we come back from the dead. And what did they say? They didn't believe. Now watch. Turn over a couple more pages to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. <coughs> and in this page, <clears throat> in this verse, we're going to see where Jesus has rose from the dead. And there's these two men walking down the street. They're very sad because Jesus, their Savior, had died. And now they're left all alone. He didn't give them any of the promises they thought they were going to get. They thought they were going to inherit the kingdom of God. They thought that he was going to be the king and reign and rule. And now he's dead. And so look what it says. 24 where? 13. We'll start in verse 13. It says this. It says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other and all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began to travel with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. All right? So they're very sad. They're walking down the street. They're talking about how Jesus had died on the cross and that all of the prophet, all of the promise he had made, they've all been buried in a grave somewhere. Like they're sad. They're brokenhearted. Right? And what happens? Jesus comes up and starts walking down the street with them. How is he walking down the street with them? Because he's physically rose from the dead. All right, now look what it says. He said to them, What are these words that you were exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still and looked sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Now think about that. They're asking Jesus, Are you the only person that don't know what's going on around here? Isn't that funny? He's really the only one that truly does know what's going on around here. And he said to them, <clears throat> what things? And they said, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, and in the sight of God and all the people. 
and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it was the third day since these things had happened. Um, so basically they're saying what? We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Savior. Now he's dead. Like everything we was hoping for just blown up in our face. But there was also some women among us amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early this morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with him, with us, went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, so now watch what Jesus replies to them. Oh, you foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's he saying? You don't believe because you're not hearing the prophets. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Now watch, verse 27, very important. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scripture. Now, that's very important. What is Jesus doing? He's going from Genesis to Malachi and explaining how all of the Old Testament scriptures are about him. You see? Now, why did he stop at Malachi? Why didn't he just go ahead and start teaching them about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts and Romans? Anybody know? Well, because it's going to be about 60 years before any of those books are written. Jesus is going to be dead, uh, risen from the grave, ascended into heaven, and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it's going to be about 30 more years before anybody writes any of the New Testament scriptures. So when Jesus was preaching the gospel message to these men, what was he using? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? And if you go through the New Testament and you read through it, you'll see over and over again where the apostles, as they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, are constantly quoting the Old Testament. They're trying to show us that Jesus is the fulfilled promises of the Old Testament. So he said, beginning at Moses and with the prophets, he explained to them all the things concerning himself. Now look down at verse uh, 36. <clears throat> it says, while they were telling these things, he stood in their midst and said to them. So what's happened is Jesus is going to make an appearance now in the upper room where his disciples are. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and blood, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it was because of their, they could not believe because it was their joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And uh, he, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it, ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I have spoken to you while I was still with you. All things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. You see? So what is the key to understanding who Jesus is? What is the key to understanding the kingdom of God? Listening. Listening and hearing what? The scriptures. Yeah, the Old Testament, the, the prophets, Moses, the Psalms. And now for us, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in this age, after the apostolic age, what do we now have? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. We have the entire 
uh, canon. We have everything. We have it all. So John the Baptist was preaching the coming Messiah. The apostles preached what? That he came, he died, he was buried, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one day he'll come back to judge the quick and the dead. And so we have the whole picture. See? And, and in reality, Lori always asks me this question. I hear her ask this all the time. And she say, it's just amazing to me that the Jewish people had all of those scriptures and they still didn't believe him. Right? right? Just, she says that a lot. Well, the reality is we in the modern day have the entirety. We have the whole story. And yet we don't believe. You see how that works? Like we, and every one of us in this room, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, we still struggle with doubt in our lives. We still have times where we don't believe. Why is that? Because we're trusting in our sight instead of faith. We're trusting in the things we see instead of what we hear in His Word. And so the reason He's given, given us His Word is so that we can have faith, so that we can believe. Alright, so let's go ahead and uh, finish up. Look at uh, 4, Luke 29, Luke 7, verse 29 to 30. Luke 7, verse 29 and 30. Right? This is very important. Today what we want to look at for the last 20 minutes of class here is the two reactions to the preaching of John the Baptist. The two reactions to the preaching or the ministry of John the Baptist. So look at verse 29 and 30. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, this is Luke 7, 29 and 30. When all the people... And the tax collectors heard this. They acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. All right? So, John is preaching the gospel. Who are the two groups of people that are hearing him that we see in that passage? <coughs> you see it? Look at verse 29. All the people and the tax collectors. Who is that? That's the poor, the brokenhearted, the wicked, the bad people, the right, the criminals, the crooks. They go out there, they hear John the Baptist preaching, and what do they do? They repent and believe the gospel. What does that mean? They turn away from themselves. They turn away from their sins. And they turn to the message. And that, at that point they were saved, right? Yeah. yeah. They turn to the message that John the Baptist was preaching. So what is the reaction of all of the people and the tax collectors? They repent and believe. And then it says this. They acknowledge God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, what in the world does that mean? Having acknowledged God's justice. What does it mean to say, I acknowledge God's justice? What does that mean? I acknowledge that God is just. I acknowledge God's justice. For you and I as Christians, what is it that we truly deserve for our sins? Death. Death. The wages of sin is death and an eternal hell, don't we? And if we're true about who we really are on the inside, not when anybody's looking, but when it's just us, the reality is we know that we're sinners. We know that. We all know that. And if God were to give me what I deserve, then what would I get? Death and hell. Those, those people that went out and heard John the Baptist, he was preaching. 
And he said, turn away from your sins. Turn away from being evil. Turn away from being wicked and turn to the kingdom of God. And what did those wicked people do? They turned from their wickedness. You see? So they acknowledged that God was just. What does that, what that mean? They recognized that God was right and they were wrong. You see? The, John preached the gospel. John preached the law and the prophets to the people. And what did it do? It opened their hearts to how wicked they really were. And they turned away from their wickedness to God's righteousness. Do you see how that works? And look what it said happened. They acknowledged God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. Well, what do we know about the baptism of John? Well, except for a couple of my Presbyterian sisters and brothers in the room, baptism is when we get dunked under some water and raised again in a new new life, right? And so what baptism teaches us is baptism is symbolic, right? The real baptism that saves a person is when the Holy Spirit comes in and consumes that old wicked heart and rips it out of us and gives us a new heart and fills us with His Spirit. That's what the true baptism that saves a person is. It's called regeneration, right? The Bible says that God promised His children that He would come in and rip out that heart of stone, wash them clean from their sins, place a new heart of flesh within them, give them a new spirit, and cause them to walk in His way and not their way anymore. That's the baptism of regeneration, okay? But when we get baptized, it's an open public profession to other people that that real baptism has happened. Does that make sense? You're standing in front of a group of people, and what are you telling people? God has changed my heart. I've heard the gospel. I've turned away from sin and self, and I've turned to Christ and his work on the cross. And not only has he forgiven me and saved me, but he's made me a child of God. You see? And you're standing in front of a whole group of people when you say that. And then what do they do? They say, I baptize you, my brother, in the name, one name, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They dunk you under the water, and they say, buried with him in his death, and raised again in his likeness, right? So it's a symbol of something that's happened inside of you. What's happening to you? You died to the old person that you used to be, and you're raised again in Christ. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died they buried him in a grave, and he rose again. Right? What about the children of Israel in the wilderness? Remember what happened? That lamb died, and they spread the blood over their house. Right? And then God delivered them, and they were baptized in the Red Sea. What does that mean? The Red Sea opened up, and they were submerged into it. And when they came out on the other side of the Red Sea, who were they? They were the redeemed children of Israel. You see? And so it's all a picture of what he's done in our life. And so when it says they acknowledge God's justice and were baptized by John, what they're saying is John's preaching was right and that I have all the need in the world to die to who I used to be and be buried and raised again and washed clean in Christ. You see? So if somebody who didn't believe went down to John the Baptist and he dunked them in the water and they came out of the water, would they be a, a regenerate? Christian, born again believer, if they didn't believe and he dunked them in a war, no, they'd just be wet. That's it. They would be the same wet center. That, they would just be a wet center. Yeah, they'd still be the same person. But if God has changed their heart and they are buried with Him and raised again, 
they have proclaimed something that's really taking place inside of them. Now, can somebody have that work taking place inside of them and never be baptized in water? Yes. Yeah, the thief on the cross was what we talked about last week as our example. The thief on the cross had a change of heart. What did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Like when you die today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And they had no chance to baptize him because he was hanging on the cross dying. So the real work that saves a person is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Not something we do. But if you have truly been saved, if God has truly done that work in you, then your desire is going to want to be to follow him. Because he commands, repent and be baptized. Right? That's a part of the command. Go and be baptized. And so... uh, these people acknowledged the justice of God having been baptized with the baptism of John. So you know what? See, you see what it means when it says they acknowledge the justice of God? They're saying God is right and I am wrong. And I need to die to myself and be raised as his. That's what they were doing by acknowledging him. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, so that's one group of people. Who was that group of people? All of the sinners and all of the tax collectors, the rough crowd. They went out and heard this message of hope and forgiveness and redemption. And what did they do? They received it. They believed it. They accepted it. They were baptized. But look at the next verse, 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for them, not having been baptized by John. They wouldn't go and get baptized. Why would they not go get baptized? Why wouldn't they let John baptize them? They didn't believe him. They didn't believe John. They didn't believe him? Not only that, they were circumcised. I'm a circumcised Jew. What do I need that kind of work for? I'm already better than half of those people over there. Look how wicked they are. I'm good. I'm a Pharisee. I know the, the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Right? I'm, I'm religious. I go to church. <coughs> I go to the temple every week. I tithe. I, 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 I. Look at all I do. Who are they focused on? Themselves. And what the first crowd did was turn away from self and turn to God. This crowd turned away from God and turned to self. You see the difference in that, those two reactions? So, um, it, they would not be baptized. Why? Because they were already clean. In their, in their own eyes, they were clean enough. They didn't need that kind of nonsense. That wasn't something we do at the temple. Why should I come out here in the middle of this desert out here and do it? That's silly. So they rejected God's purpose for their life. All right, we got a couple more minutes left. <clears throat> Let's um, look at uh, verse uh, Matthew chapter 11. We'll go back over to Matthew. This is the same account. It's just from a different writer. So Matthew chapter 11, that's just to your left of where we were. Matthew 11 and verse 15. Now, we talked about this a little last week. I just want to test you to see if you still remember what we were saying. Look at that verse. He, everybody there? Matthew 11, verse 15. There, find it, Lord. Mm-hmm. All right. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we talked about this last week. I don't know anybody that don't have ears. I did know one lady one time that didn't have the ear lobe. She just had a hole in the side of her head. Right? But she still had an ear. Like she could still hear. So what is the point Jesus is trying to make? Everybody can hear unless you're deaf, Right? What is he saying, if you have ears, let him hear? What he's saying is, is that the only way that somebody is going to become a believer, the only way that somebody is truly going to believe in God is if they hear his message. And the only way they're going to hear his message is what? 
if he gives them new ears, if he opens their ears to the gospel. Now, they'll hear about their friends going down to the club Saturday night, and they'll hear about the game that's going to be Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. They'll hear about, um, you know, uh, that good-looking girl walking by them on the street corner. They hear about all those kind of things. But when it comes to dying to self and living for God, huh? What are you talking about? That's silly, right? They don't hear. And so to the reality is this. If God has saved you, he opened your ears to be able to hear the gospel. And there's a lot of people out there in the world that just can't hear it. Well, what is the cure? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do for those who can't hear? What, 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 is, what does he command me and you to do to those who can't hear? Talk to them. Share the gospel with them. Because the only thing that's going to open their ears is the law and Moses and the prophets. You see, the only thing that's going to open their ears to the truth is the Bible. So you can sit around with somebody and argue with them and try to convince them based on a cosmological argument telling them that the sun and the moon and stars were created by God. Like you can, you can claim all of the evidence you want. You can say, oh, we got all these artifacts from ancient Israel and la, la, la. And you can try to convince them of anything. You can try like a lawyer to convince somebody that they're wrong and you're right. But unless God is working in their heart, they're not going to hear it. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, the only thing that will open their heart to hear it is the Word of God. So when he says, let he who has ears, let him hear. Right? <clears throat> How many of y'all remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school when we were kids? Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Yeah. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. You don't remember? Don't be, be careful. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And it teaches kids to be careful. Of what, right. Yeah. So what, what do we need to do? We need to share the truth with people because it's that truth that opened their ears to it. And what you'll find out is the very people that are hardened to the message of God don't want anything to do with the Bible. Right. What they'll say is, how do you know that that's real? It was written by a bunch of men and it's been retranslated and retranslated over thousands of years. How do you even know it's real? Well, what's the matter? They don't have ears to hear it. And the only way that they will ever get ears to hear it is by hearing it. Then you get, then you receive the heart to know it. Yeah, amen. All right, now, so let's kind of wind down here. Um, Jesus, look in uh, Matthew 11, verse 16 to 19. So, we've just talked about the two reactions to the gospel message, to the kingdom message that John was proclaiming. What were the two reactions? One received, one rejected. All right, so look what Jesus is going to say. How shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the market who call out to the other children and say, Oh, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. And we sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he has a demon. Now, what was John doing wrong? Nothing. Nothing. He wasn't eating or drinking or cussing or sleeping around with women. He was out in the middle of the desert. What was he eating? Honey and locusts, right? And, and wearing a camel skin uh, suit, right? You can't find that at the local uh, <laughs> haberdashery, right? You're not going to find a camel skin suit there. He just had old and, and tied with a leather belt, right? He was out there like Fred Flintstone, out there in the middle of the desert, preaching. Didn't have on a fancy three-piece suit or a prophet or priest garb. He was out there just in plain clothes, preaching the gospel message to these people. And it said, 
Um, and the, the the ones that reject him, they went out and said, that guy's demon-possessed. He's a wackadoo. Right? And that's exactly what they said. Well, they probably didn't use the word wackadoo back then. <laughs> wackadoo didn't come along until like a little while later. But you understand. What do they do? They couldn't hear him. He sounded like a, a, a flaming idiot to them. Why? Because they were so entrenched in their religion and their Judaism that they lost sight of what Judaism all pointed to. What did all of those sacrifices and offerings point to? The one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Right? What did all of those prophets point to? They all pointed to Jesus. And so all of that religion and all of that ritual they had was given to them so that they could know God. And yet instead of it helping them to know God, it literally blinded them to Him. That's terrifying. We have the same thing today. You'll have people in your churches today that think that they're going to heaven one day just because they're a member of a church. Just because for the last 25 or 30 years they've been going every week, checking the box at Sunday school, making all the dinners, all the conferences, singing all the songs, singing in the choir, uh, donating money. They think that they're going to heaven because of what they do. You see? They're, they're caught up in their religion. And so he said, he says, um, this man had a demon. Now, the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus. He came eating and drinking. Right? What does that mean? Remember he went to the Pharisee's house? Or he went to Zacchaeus' house to tax collectors? They had a big party there. And he hangs around with drunkards and prostitutes. Now, Jesus is not a drunkard or a prostitute. But he hangs around with those folks. Why does he hang around with those folks? Because they're the sinners. They need those are the ones that need him. Those are the ones that are attracted to him, you see? And he said, now, he comes, the Son of Man comes... And you say that he's nothing but a drunkard and a friend of wicked tax collectors and so sinners. What saying, how I took it is, no matter what they do, it's never good enough. That's exactly right. John's being <coughs> possessed because he's eaten and he's right. it's never good enough. Good. It's happening right now today. And one of the main points in Scripture is this. Those that don't have ears to hear, no matter what it was that God sends to them to help them to believe, they are going to reject it. They're going to reject it. All right, let's finish. we got one more little thing to do, and then we'll be done. All right? Now, look at verse 7. Yeah, because we, 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 we didn't start till 10 minutes late. All right, so I'm going to steal two. Yeah, but I have to have the back right, to the end class. All right, I'm going to steal two more, two more minutes from you, and we'll be done. All right? Two more minutes. Only two. All right. I have to have look at number 7. Or I'll lose my guy. Wisdom is justified by her children. And that's Luke 7.35. And look at B. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Y'all help me figure these. Number seven in the bottom of of your worksheet that I have. Number seven. Gotcha. All right. Wisdom is justified by her children. So if wisdom has children, what kind of children are they? Smart. Wise. Not not smart. Wise. Remember the difference in wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is the ability to apply your knowledge. All right, there's a lot of people out there that know a lot, but they couldn't pour water out of a boot if the directions were on the bottom of it, right? right? So you've got to have wisdom. You've got to be able to know what to do with the knowledge you have. And so what he says is wisdom is justified by her children. Justified means to be declared right, you see? So if a person is a child of wisdom, how are they going to act? They're going to be wise. And they're going to show that wisdom is the right way. So, in our lesson today, who are the children that justified wisdom? 
who were the ones that showed themselves to be wise? In our lesson that we learned today. The tax collectors. The, the, the wicked people who heard the message of God and turned from sin and self and turned to Christ. Good. Then that, that last statement says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. All right? What does that mean? If you are a wise person, you will act with right. wisdom. Wise. According, right. According to right. Well. If you're a child of wisdom, then you're going to act like your parents. If you are wise, you will be justified by your wise acts. So if you truly have wisdom within you, how are you going to act? That's not what you say. It's what you do. That's exactly right. You're going to be a wise person. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's exactly right. And so in the story, what Jesus is trying to show us is, is look at look at those Pharisees, look at that religious group. They oh, they know the scriptures and they know it backwards and forwards, but yet when it came to wisdom. All right, let's close with a quick word of prayer. We'll be done. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the group here. And I pray that we will all be able to um, walk in wisdom. Uh, <clears throat> to be known by the fact that you are God and we are not, to be known by the fact that you have forgiven us and saved us, and to be known by the fact that we have a hope that this world can never give us. Help us to live in that hope and help us to share that hope with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.